Family. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner, really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pound. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. And welcome to another week here in the Exxon. My name is Rob McConnell, and for the next four hours, I am your host. I am your guide as together we cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the Exxon. It's a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, and the Exxon comes to you Monday through Friday from midnight until 5 a.m. Eastern, Right here on the Exxon Broadcast Network, Talk Star Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, iHeart Radio, and of course on Simul Radio and Simul TV. And if you'd like to find out about the programming we have available for you 24 7, 365 on the Exxon Broadcast Network, visit us online at www.xzbn.net. And for the Exxon TV channel exclusively on Simul TV, Visit their website at www.simultv.com. Exonation, my guest this hour is Mark Shaw, and Mark is a former criminal defense attorney and legal analyst for CNN, ESPN, and USA Today. Uh, for the Mike Tyson, O.J. Simpson, and Kobe Bryant cases, Mark is an investigative recorder, a reporter and author of 20-plus books, whose latest is the bestseller, The Reporter Who Knew Too Much. If you'd like to find out more about Mark as well as his books, he's got a great website. Visit after the show, Exxon Nation, www.markshawbooks.com. And Mark, welcome back to the AX Zone. Great having you with hey, us thanks. tonight. Thanks so much, Rob, for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, congratulations on your new book, The Reporter Who Knew Too Much. Well, you know, uh, it's amazing. I can't remember when I exactly when I was on your show. So many things have happened, mm -hmm. but... You know, uh, that, that book just was a breakthrough. Uh, you know, uh, it, we never had any idea that, you know, it would become so popular, become a bestseller, that we'd make a deal for the movie rights and all yeah. of that. And whenever I'm asked about it, I think there were three things that happened. Number one, Dorothy Kilgallen, as yes. you know, the book is about her. And mm -hmm. we didn't realize that her name was still so magic uh, these days. Uh, people remember her, of course, from What's My Line, the quiz show that was on back in the 50s and 60s. Right. But um, many young people also have heard about Dorothy because there are all the reruns on mm -hmm. YouTube and, and all of that. Uh, second, the book has to do with the JFK assassination and Dorothy's investigation of that. And then third, you know, it's set up as a true crime murder mystery, and everybody loves a mystery. So somewhere or another, this book just touched people's emotions, and I've heard from people all over the world, and that's one reason I think you know that uh, I've written a, a follow-up book to it for those who read the first book and who didn't, uh, called Denial of Justice, that's coming out, because uh, it's kind of a continuing uh, investigation that I had to do 
after learning new material about Dorothy based on people reading the, the reporter who knew too much. Well, I'd also like to share with our audience that you've also written The Poison Patriarch, Miscarriage of Justice mm-hmm. Beneath the Mask of Holiness, uh, Melvin Belly, King of the Courtroom. Belli, yes. Uh-huh. Belli. Mm-hmm. Uh, stations Along the Way, and Down for the Count. You've also penned many articles for the New York Daily News, USA Today, Huffington Post, and Aspen Daily News, which you co-founded. So where do you, my friend, you asked me this before coming on air, you know, how do I fit everything into a day? I'm going to turn it to you, except this time it's on air. So how do you do everything in a day? Well, again, I, I, your audience should know what, what respect I have for you, Rob, and what you've been able to accomplish, especially in the media area, but as a Thank publisher you. and uh, in the police area and all these different kinds of things. You're certainly a Renaissance man, and I, uh, I admire uh, your being able to do it. And yes, I did ask you when you find all the time for this. <laughs> uh, for me, um, writing is a labor of love. Yeah. Uh, I never had any uh, inclination that, w- that I would get into it. Uh, I never had any training. Uh, at all, but once I um, uh, started doing some uh, legal analysis for the networks on trials, and the first one was the Mike Tyson trial, yeah, uh, I decided to write a book about that case called Down for the Count, and that got me into it. And um, there's some skills that I think come in handy for people like you and me. Uh, one of them is organizational skills. Um, that that comes back from when I was a criminal defense lawyer and had to balance all the cases and everything like that. And I think I. My organizational skills were good. Also, I was a storyteller. Um, I think I got my storytelling ability, whatever it is, from talking to juries. Mm-hmm. And um, so those that kind of combined, and so I'm able to do what they call beco- uh, being a prolific writer. Uh, I'm not so sure that means you're a good writer or not, but <laughs> prolific writer uh, means you write a lot, and that's what I do. Uh, I find a subject or a subject finds me, and then I take off into the research and the writing, and uh, it all seems to fit in. Some books take longer than others, but um, uh, I'm blessed to be able to um, to work on sometimes more than one book at a time, uh, and, and I find the time to be able to do all of that. First of all, I'd like to thank you very much for your kind words. They mean a lot to me coming from you, Mark. And uh, I, was, I have to ask you, do you still believe that Dorothy Kilgallen, um, has been your guiding spirit from the hereafter regarding the investigation of her life and times and her mysterious death? Oh, boy, I'll tell you, Rob, there's no question about it. You know, uh, when I talk about this, there are many people out there that think I'm a little loony, that, uh, you know, there's something wrong with me and I should have the people in the white coats come. But there's no question in my mind that, number one, Dorothy Kilgallen decided I should write this book about mm-hmm. her. Right. Uh, as you know, she died in 1965 under mysterious circumstances, and I didn't even know about Dorothy. Uh, I thought she was just that uh, star from What's My Line, the television show, and I didn't know anything about her until I uh, started writing that book about Melvin Belli, uh, who was a San Francisco uh, lawyer of note, uh, quite a flamboyant guy. I'd practiced law with him a little bit in the 80s, and I knew he represented Jack Ruby. So when he died, I decided to write a book about him. And uh, during the course of the research for that, uh, I went ahead and uh, found out a little bit about Dorothy when one of Belli's friends said to me that after Dorothy died, mm-hmm. he said, uh, Belli knew Dorothy. And I said, oh, yes. And he said, and it's interesting when she died, Belli said, they've killed Dorothy. Now they'll go after, they, I'm sorry, they've killed Dorothy. Now they'll go after Jack Ruby. And that piqued mm. my curiosity. I mean, you're a guy who's a very curious person like me. And yep. so I started in on that. But there were some clues there that I couldn't quite figure out that kept coming to me. 
And after a while, I realized that Dorothy was right in, in the writing studio with me, right next here to, with me next to the computer. She was guiding me. She was leading me to evidence. She was, you know, just uh, from the hereafter, uh, mm-hmm. somehow or another had decided, and, and I was, I'm blessed that that happened, that I should help write her story, that I should look into her death, that I should try to get the justice she was denied in, in the 60s. And so um, I see it continually to today. Um, after the reporter who not tuned too much was um, published, uh, all at once new clues came to me as to more things about Dorothy's death and the JFK assassination and some things we can talk about with her belief in UFOs and all of this kind of thing that I never had any idea about. And, and I attribute that all to Dorothy, that somehow or another uh, she has guided me all along the way. And um, I've been blessed with her uh, being there because I would have never found out the evidence in this continuing investigation of mine if it hadn't been for Dorothy helping me from the hereafter. You know, on this show, I've had the opportunity of speaking to many authors who have told me of the same experience that they have had where they, prior to having the experience of being guided from the other side, they had Mm -hmm. little, if any, interest or belief in something beyond life. But as they progress Mm -hmm. with the information that comes from the other side and as they start to better get acquainted with the method of communication as Mm -hmm. well as having confidence in themselves that they're not waiting for the men in white to come around, that there actually is a corridor that has opened between this side and that oh, side. Yeah. You know, it, that's, really a good, that's really a good way to put it, with a corridor opening, yeah. because I can feel her presence right now. I, I know that she's right there with mm-hmm. me, uh, and, and so there is that corridor open. But uh, I, would have, I would have never even guessed that something like this uh, uh, could happen, as mm-hmm. you say. So I'm not surprised uh, that you've heard this from... From other people, I do think you have to be open to it. Yes, Rob. very much I, I so. I think if you're a, if you're a person who's closed off mm-hmm. to anything from the other side, then that probably can't happen. But if you're somebody who's open to that, then uh, uh, it can happen. And and Dorothy's situation is a perfect example. You know, I've got about a minute before I have to go for my first break, and let me just ask you this: Do you think it's possible that? Your position as a criminal defense attorney, who has to have an open mind. When talking to someone who has been accused of any crime, the person is saying, I didn't do it. And you, as the criminal attorney, has to have that open mind. Do you think that this might have helped you in in your communication with Dorothy? Well, I'd like to answer that briefly, and then maybe we can talk sure. about it a little bit more. Because uh, you, you to- talked about the Poison Patriarch, which was yeah. about Joe Kennedy and, and the uh, double cross of the mafia during the 60 election and all of mm-hmm. that. Nobody had ever looked at the... Uh, death of John F. Kennedy through the eyes of a former criminal defense lawyer. And I looked at, looked at it as why was John Kennedy shot instead of why Bobby Kennedy was not. Good and, question. you know, like Dorothy, uh, what you do when you're investigating these things, you look for the little things that don't make any sense. Mark, I hate to do this to my... building on that. I hate to do this, but I do have to go for my break. Exonation, my guest this hour is Mark Shaw. A couple of websites, www.marks. Uh, Mark Shaw's MarkShawBooks.com, as well as www.TheReporterWhoKnewTooMuch and TheDorothyKilliganStory.org. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. Mark and I will return on the other side of this break. Don't go away.
Welcome back, everyone. Mark Shaw is my special guest. But before we get back to Mark, I would just like to say hello to Maurice Lewis and all the great people that we had the pleasure of meeting at uh, Bubba Gump Company in Lahaina, Hawaii, when we were in Hawaii a couple of weeks ago shooting segments for the upcoming Exxon TV channel, as well as Mysterious Destinations. So to all the people at Bubba Gump's, you guys are fantastic. Mark uh, Shaw is our guest, www.markshawbooks.com. And before we went to the commercial break, we were we just started touching a little bit on uh, one of your books that we didn't really talk about the last time you were with us, and that was The Patriarch. and mm-hmm. I'm sorry, The Poison Patriarch. And, you know, we kind of kept it short because we were coming to the commercial break. And I was, I was wondering if you could, you know, go into it further. Well, what I wanted to say is, you know, people have always looked at the JFK assassination mm-hmm. and, and uh, common sense, as you do, why was JFK killed? Yeah. Well, you know, after I did some research and, and all of that, I, I got to thinking, I'm going to look at it uh, as to why Bobby Kennedy wasn't. Because Bobby Kennedy, as the chief prosecutor of, of Jack Ruby told me during an interview a couple years ago, right. Bobby Kennedy had a lot more enemies than Jack did. And so I started looking at that from that angle, which nobody had had done before. And uh, it, it was apparent to me that uh, those people who believe that, uh, it, that were involved with the underworld, who believe that uh, Joe Kennedy had double-crossed them when the 1960 election happened, uh, you know, they helped him win the election for JFK and then, and then said that the deal was that then the, uh, the new administration wouldn't go after those guys, specifically Carlos Marcello, a New Orleans Don, Mafia Don, mm-hmm. and, then, and then they did. And Bobby Kennedy became attorney general and went after those guys. So I, I came to the conclusion right away, it didn't take too long to think that, um, okay, they wanted to kill Bobby Kennedy, but they couldn't because if they did, then JFK would come after them with everything that the government have. Had. But if you killed JFK, then Bobby Kennedy was powerless. And, Rob, that's exactly what happened. Uh, Bobby Kennedy resigned as attorney general and then went, never went after those guys again. And so then that led to my dealing with the whole situation with, uh, with Dorothy Kilgallen because nobody had ever looked at this. You know, I'm separated as, as well as all of the other authors who, ever have been, who have ever written about the JFK assassination for one good reason. Uh, Dorothy Kilgallen was there, and we weren't. Uh, The evidence in The Reporter Who Knew Too Much and the new book, Denial of Justice, uh, there's photographs, there's videos. She was at the Jack Ruby trial. She's the only only, uh, uh, reporter to have interviewed Ruby. She exposed his uh, Warren Commission testimony before it was supposed to be released. I've got all of the columns she wrote at the DorothyKilgallenStory.org. I mean, she was the real thing whereas all of us are talking about it from a second-hand perspective. And I will tell you that in the new book, Denial of Justice, um, again, Dorothy led me to this material, but I'm going to expose some documents, Rob, on November 20th when the new book comes out that have never been seen before about the JFK assassination, and I will guarantee you that it will, uh, it will change the perception of how people view the JFK assassination for years to come. It's so explosive, and I, I found it um, through Dorothy, her, mm-hmm. her leading me to a person who had collected certain information about the JFK assassination that's never been seen before. So, you know, you, you've asked me that, that criminal defense um, angle of looking at things through the lens of that has right. made a difference 
uh, in everything that I've been able to present and what I will present in the new book, Denial of Justice. I can hardly wait to read it, but let, let me just ask you a question talking about President Kennedy as well mm -hmm. as Bobby. Do you think that, or do you believe that history repeats itself? Oh, yes, certainly. Okay, yeah. now, I'm outside of the, uh, of the forest up here in Canada looking at the political situation in the United States. And mm -hmm. whether you are a fan of President Trump or whether you're not, whether you're a Democrat, whether you're a Republican, I, I just kind of look at it saying, my gosh, there's a lot of similarities between JFK and President mm -hmm. Trump. Both wanted to stir the pot. Both successfully stirred the pot. Both are, you know, were responsible. Like Kennedy wanted to disband the CIA. Kennedy wanted to get out of Vietnam. And, you know, President Trump is, is in his own way trying to, trying to um, empty the swamp, rubbing people the wrong way, just as JFK did. Both have had affairs both while you know well we don't know of any mm -hmm. affairs that president trump has had in office but you know we know about marilyn monroe and others when it comes to mm -hmm. the late great president kennedy look what happened to jfk because of his mm -hmm. actions mm -hmm. is it possible that the same thing will happen to president trump well i certainly i certainly hope not i, I agree. i'm not an admirer yeah. of his i think he has a great uh the difference between the two, I would say, mm -hmm. is the, uh, you know, the uh, the disdain in many ways for the truth. Um, and and with, with JFK, uh, I, I don't think there was a deliberate uh, attempt on his part to distort the truth as I much agree. as the current leader of our country. But there are similarities there. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, uh, we have an atmosphere these days, in my own opinion, of a, a great deal of disrespect. I see it every day on the highway, the way people drive. Oh, gosh, yeah. uh, I see it with young people who have uh, the smartphone attached to their nose uh, and are disrespectful to people. Uh, so we live in a, in a world of disrespect. You can disagree with people. You and I can disagree, but we have to have respect for each other and each other's positions. Definitely. We don't have that in our, in our political system, at least. I mean, this whole situation with the Supreme Court nominee is just a, is a mess. Uh, and it should never be that way. Uh, it, it, there's so much partisanship. Mm -hmm. There's so much hatred between um, political foes. Instead of respect... And so, unfortunately, uh, I, I'm such an admirer of your government and how you handle things there, because it does seem like politicians come uh, to get, try to come together for the better good of the country. Yes. We don't have that right now, um, and it's unfortunate. And, and one of the things people ask me a great deal, how would Dorothy Kilgallen fit into this world's uh, journalism? I was, uh, just I was just going to ask you if Dorothy Kilgallen had the opportunity of sitting down in front of President Trump, how do you think she would have conducted that interview? Well, for the first thing, she was, she was, never, she was such a woman of integrity. Mm -hmm. uh, there's the best photograph, uh, my most favorite photograph, is on the DorothyKilgallenStory.org. She's at the Dr. Sam Shepard case, which is a famous case uh, where this uh, doctor allegedly killed his wife. It became the foundation for uh, The Fugitive, which was the film oh, with Harrison right. Ford and, yeah. the TV, and the TV series and all of that. David Jansen. She's standing there, and all the reporters are gathered around her because they have such respect for her integrity, her sources. Uh, there's no fake news in Dorothy Kilgallen. She had none of that. And so there's that great respect for 
what she did. Name me a reporter in the United States of America who has that same respect, and I will tell you there aren't any. No. So Dorothy Kilgallen would have been terrific because, number one, she would have not speculated. She would have not asked questions that she didn't have a factual base for because that's the kind of woman she was, and that's the kind of reporter she was. That's how she was brought up. But, but back uh, and it, then... But, and, and so I think that makes the difference here. But in, in Dorothy's time, the, the media wasn't the moneymaker that it is today. The newsroom was not a moneymaker as far as many networks looked at it. You know, the, it was a necessary evil. But now the news cycle, the 24-hour news cycles, have taken the newsroom, catapulted into one of the major fund manufacturing parts of any network, as well as creating the, the need for, well, if it don't bleed, it don't lead. Sensationalism. Oh, boy, that's the word I, I was just going to say yeah. before you said it. You're, you're right on point. That sensationalism. Um, it, and, it, and that's the disturbing part of this. You know, newsmakers and reporters and journalists were never supposed to make the news. No. They were supposed to report the news. Walter Cronkite, David Brinkley, I could go down the line. We don't have reporters like that anymore because... They have to one-upsmanship the other one. Mm -hmm. It's got to be more sensational yeah. than, the, than the one previous. So there's so much speculation. There's so much fake news. It's a, it's a terrible state of affairs because that's not how and, and that's not what news is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a balanced situation. That's but right. especially it's supposed to be based on the facts. Exactly. Because not on opinion and all that other kind of stuff. As yeah. far as I'm concerned, as a journalist... My job is to report the facts, as many of mm -hmm. the facts as I can, and let the, the, the listener, the viewer, the reader mm -hmm. make up their mind based on my reporting of the facts. You know, one of my uh, law enforcement officers once taught us in the academy, there's three sides to every story, his side, mm -hmm. her side, and the truth. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's, that's a, a good way to look at yeah. it. I, I pride myself, and I know you do with your program. We look at primary sources. Mm -hmm. We don't speculate. We don't want to know he said to her, to him, to what, you know, and yep. all that other kind of stuff. Uh, somebody the other day was pointing out to me a book about uh, Onassis and Jackie Kennedy, and they said there's, there's Mark, there's material in there that Onassis had RFK killed, and there's uh, all these other things and all of that. They said you should take a look at it, and so I did. I, I, I found a, a copy of the book at the library, and I looked at it. I, I couldn't even believe it. This author, there's no footnotes. It's anonymous sources. It's speculation. I mean, that's not the kind of thing that I'm ever going to be interested in. And I see that in books. I see that in, in newspaper stories. And you see that on the air. And, Mark, and that's just really unfortunate. Mark, as time goes by, you and I have to take a yet another commercial break at the bottom of the hour for the news. Exonation. our guest this hour is... Mark Shaw and uh, Mark and I will be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the X-Zone. However, if you'd like to uh, find out more about Mark, www.markshawbooks.com, thereporterwhonewtomuch.com, and thedorothykilgallenstory.org. We'll be back on the other side of this news break as we continue here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. And you're watching us on the X-Zone TV channel on Simul TV.
Welcome back, everyone. Mark Shaw is my guest this hour. He is a former criminal defense attorney and legal analyst for CNN, ESPN, and USA Today for the Mike Tyson, O.J. Simpson, and Kobe Bryant cases. Uh, Mark is an investigative reporter and the author of 20-plus books, whose latest is the bestseller, The Reporter Who Knew Too Much. And uh, you're going to find out more about not only the book, but Mark, as well as order your books on his website, www. Got your pencils ready, all right. It'll be available online, as you know. MarkShawBooks.com and also some other websites to take a boo at. TheReporterWhoKnewToMuch.com, TheDorothyKilgallenStory.org, and once again, www.MarkShawBooks.com. Um, Mark, what was the interest that Dorothy had in UFOs? Well, you, you, we talked a little bit about Dorothy uh, helping mm-hmm. me from the hereafter for yep. those people that didn't hear that part of the interview, uh, I believe that Dorothy chose me to write the book. Uh, I'm, I'm blessed and honored that she did, and I've tried to become her voice because mm-hmm. her voice was silenced in 65 when she was too close to the truth about the JFK assassination. And so uh, she's led me to, uh, you know, I've, I've gotten almost a thousand emails uh, from people around the world, every country you can imagine, who were mesmerized with a reporter who knew too much. And so in my continuing investigation, I've thrown a lot of this new material in denial, denial of justice, which is coming out November 20th and, and is available for pre-orders on Amazon. And, and one of the areas she led me into that I just briefly touched on in the first book was Dorothy's interest in UFOs. And um, at the time, I couldn't really find substantiation, primary sources, and so on and so forth about that interest. But again, all at once, I had an email from somebody uh, in Europe, uh, I don't want to give away too much, but uh, in Europe, who told me that Dorothy had taken a vacation. Uh, we were not sure exactly what the dates were at the time, but they were just a few uh, years or within a year or so when she died in 65, and there was some sort of a UFO uh, convention uh, in England. And that Dorothy, while being on vacation, ended up going there because she did have an interest in UFOs. So I started to do my research and was able to track down, and this will be in the, in the new book, uh, her articles that she actually wrote about this. And then that kind of tied in, Rob, with people always asking me about whether or not I could connect the death of Dorothy Kilgallen in The Reporter Who Knew Too Much and in, in the new book, Denial of Justice, with uh, Marilyn Monroe's death. And I always said to them, look, uh, I don't see a lot of connection there. I know they were friends. Dorothy wrote an article when uh, Marilyn died that she didn't believe that um, Marilyn had committed suicide and all of that. And uh, all at once then that opened the door to my looking into the fact that Marilyn was uh, obsessed with UFOs. Really? And then I found out that uh, JFK was, uh, uh, you know, similarly uh, obsessed with UFOs, and that led me, as it would you, as you're a curious guy looking for the truth all the time, mm-hmm. to connect the three of them. And I'm able to do that, and even found a uh, never-before-seen for- FBI memo that uh, kind of um, summarized what JFK believed about UFOs in the early 1960s. So um, the answer to your question is that, yes, I've, I've now been able to substantiate what Dorothy thought about that. She was a believer. Marilyn was a believer, JFK was a believer, and I'm going to connect all that together uh, in the new book, Denial of Justice. Which comes out on November the 20th and is available for pre-order on Amazon.com. That's 
right. And I can give you, I can give you other examples. Of sure, the, if you don't the mind. Dorothy Kilgallen, uh, you know, influence here. The other day, a, a guy, you know, there's a main suspect in Dor- It's a true crime murder mystery, and we have Frank Sinatra and Carlos Marcello, the mafia don. We have mm-hmm. J. Edgar Hoover. We have Dorothy's estranged husband, and we have a guy who still lives in Ohio, who was Dorothy's last lover. Uh, who was a, a journalist there who she believed was leaking her JFK assassination uh, file, which disappeared when she died. And so I've, I've nailed him in the book, saying he's the main suspect. He was the last person to see her alive, all of that. Well, the other day, uh, I get an email from a fellow in Columbus, Ohio, where Ron, this Ron Pataki lives. Uh, the guy's 96 years old. Hmm. And uh, I'm, I'm told, and he worked with Ron at the Columbus Dispatch back in 1965. Well, that, that just came out of the blue. I mean, it, it, I had no idea that that was the situation. A couple second cousins of Dorothy's have come forward who told me all about Dorothy's heritage in Ireland. And in the new book, there's a, a photograph of her grandparents and the house she lived in. Um, there was a waitress at P.J. Clark's that I found who uh, waited on Dorothy the last night of her life when she was there, just a few hours before she died. Now, Rob, where does all this come from? There's some spirit up there, you know, uh, that's involved with Dorothy and and her involvement with me that's Mm -hmm. brought that material to me. And that's why I decided to write a second book here, because uh, so much of that is is relevant to what happened to Dorothy and her life and times, behind-the-scenes part of What's My Line and everything else. You can't tell me that that's all a coincidence. No, no, I can't. (laughs) No, the uh, the Not preponderance of evidence is overwhelming that there is in fact a a source beyond the established three dimensions or many yeah. sources that are helping you yeah. because the truth has got to get out there. Well, it it does, and uh, you know, uh, again, um, I'm I'm so blessed that, that that she chose me to do this. You know, I got an email from somebody who's gone to her grave mm-hmm. in at the cemetery in New York and puts flowers on that grave now. Wow. People who read The Reporter Who Knew Too Much fell in love with Dorothy. They, they, they touched his, her emotions. Uh, she didn't get a fair shake when she died. That's why I've been fighting the New York DA to, to reopen her case and all of that. There, there's a connection there that they have with Dorothy, and I am of the belief that somehow or another she's kind of touched their lives as well. Um, I've had a couple of them tell me that, that somehow or another they, they have a, a kindred spirit. That's an interesting term, isn't it? Kindred spirit now with Dorothy Kilgallen. And, Rob, she's been dead for 50, more than 50 years. Well, you know, I've, I've got guests on this show, and, in fact, Roberta Grimes, who is a lawyer in her own rights, who has written several books because she believes that the information that she is getting from uh, for the books, number one, are coming from Thomas Jefferson, number one, oh my. and number two, oh. Jesus Christ Himself. Wow! And the books that are that she writes and that are being published and read all over the world are books that people are saying the same thing about her books as yours. And here you are, a lawyer. There she is, a lawyer. You know the the the. The the similarities. Mm-hmm. Say no, a lawyers lot. are supposed to be uh, black or white. 
You know, it's either mm-hmm. not guilty or guilty. <laughs> well, and yet, you know, here here are the two of us who see some gray area in there. And, yeah. and again, you've got to be open to that. Though. That's I'm sure true. People say she's crazy like they say I'm crazy. I've gotten threatening emails, and they've hacked my email and Facebook wow. page. And stay out of all this, you know, and everything, just I'm sure like she has. But uh, if you're open to uh, anything uh, being possible, then... It, it opens a whole new world for you, doesn't it? It certainly does. And people, like, I'm I'm not one to believe what I'm told unless it comes from a first, uh, you know, a person who's actually seen it or there's evidence to substantiate the claims that are made. And mm-hmm. people ask me all the time, Rob, why do you do the show after all these years mm-hmm. if, if you still don't believe? It's very simple. I'm looking for that proof. I'm looking for the evidence to substantiate the claims. Mm-hmm. Well, and many times people miss it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't, I've never uh, called myself the greatest researcher who ever lived, but as I said, these shocking new documents about the JFK assassination that will expose uh, in denial of justice in November are, are going to be mind boggling because they've been out there. But many people never wanted them to be released, never wanted to be, be exposed because they change everything about the JFK assassination, assassination, and they do so just because of what you said. It's primary source uh, material, and that's that's going to be tough for people to take because many times they don't want to believe the truth. That's right. Uh, as much as you can tell them, uh, hey, listen, look at this and keep an open mind and look at it and see what you think. I, I like my books. I try to make people stop and think, mm-hmm. just like you do on your shows, and and yet uh, there are some people uh, you could you could – you know, tell them that somebody uh, shot somebody in front of 14 people, and you could have all 14 say that that happened, but they're not going to believe it. And I, in some ways, I feel sorry for those people because um, the truth is out there, uh, but you've got to be open to believing it and and uh, put a, put aside your bias and all of that, or, or it'll never work. Based on the research that you've done into the JFK assassination, Mark, was the Warren Commission just a sham? Was it just a a, divi- a, a a way to get the public to look right when they should have been looking left? Well, I don't know why I was chosen to have these documents. Dorothy uh, led me to them. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you, uh, they are just going to embarrass anybody uh, who was on, uh, on or around that Warren Commission wow. or had anything to do with it or believes that it was anything other than just J. Edgar Hoover continuing to shout that Oswald alone theory and embarrassing uh, the country and brainwashing those people on the Warren Commission. It happened a few years later, in, or years later in the 70s, with the um, the Commission on the uh, the Assassinations, uh, the, su- uh, the Congressional Subcommittee on Assassinations, looking into JFK's death. They missed it too. For, first of all, neither one of those organizations, the House Select Committee on Assassinations or the Warren Commission, ever asked Dorothy Kilgallen to uh, either appear there or looked at any of her writings or anything like that. All right, we're going to take a short break here, Mark, because I'm coming up fast on my final... Please do. Coming up on my final break, in explanation, if you'd like to find out more about our guest this hour, Mark Shaw, visit his website, markshawbooks.com. Also visit thereporterwhoknewtomuch.com and the dorothykilgallenstory.org. This is The Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. We'll be back as we wrap up this hour here in The Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away.
Shaw's my guest. We're talking about um, Dorothy Kilgallen as well as other things. Mark is uh, the author of The Reporter Who Knew Too Much as well as the Dorothy Kilgallen story. He's written over 20 books in all. He is a, um, a contributing um, um, reporter, artist, editorialist for a number of newspapers. And uh, he also was the co-founder of the Aspen Daily News. His website's www.markshawbooks.com. And the reporter who knew too much.com and the Dorothy Kilgallen story.org. And we were talking about uh, the uh, the yeah. Warren Commission and why the war, you know, how come the Warren Commission did not interview or ever take any of the information that Dorothy had available? Yeah, and, and I have more information that in Denial of Justice. And mm-hmm. the subtitle is Dorothy Kilgallen Abuse of Power in the Most Com- Compelling JFK Assassination Investigation in History. And here's the reason why for that subtitle is because she was there and she is the most reputable reporter to have ever uh, looked into that. But uh, I found some new documents that uh, show a um, exchange between uh, J. Edgar Hoover and the Warren Commission General Counsel at that time asking about how Dorothy was able to secure Jack Ruby's testimony before the Warren Commission and printed in all the newspapers. You know, she was syndicated to two sure, newspapers yeah. across the country. So there's some new documentation in here, in there, and that when I when people read that and find that out, and they look at the uh, evidence that I uh, mentioned before with these new documents, they're going to ask themselves, why didn't the Warren Commission ask her to um, to appear there? Uh, and then they're going to ask the uh, the House Select Committee on Assassinations in in the 1970s, why wasn't Dorothy Kilgallen's um, investigation uh, file and, and and what she had learned included there? Well, here's the problem. Uh, in both situations, especially with the Warren Commission, Warren, uh, J. Edgar Hoover was shouting the Oswald alone theory. So uh, they, they didn't want to hear anything that didn't coincide with that. And here's the problem, and we have this problem today as well with regard to, to, to news. Many people want to go ahead and they have a conclusion, and then they try to make the facts fit the conclusion instead of doing it the other way around, which is the right way to do it, which is respected journalists and, and uh, commentators like you do and I, and I do. Right. And that is you, you set up the facts and then you provide a conclusion or you let people make their own mind up. Well, they didn't want to talk to Dorothy Kilgallen because she was the lone reporter uh, going against uh, J. Edgar Hoover's Oswald alone theory. So they don't want her to uh, testify and muddy the waters with all that. And I've looked at every single page on the Warren Commission uh, in the Warren Commission report and the one in the 1970s, and Dorothy Kilgallen is just left out because she doesn't her her her, conclu- her facts and her conclusions don't fit with what they wanted the verdict to be, and that's what's unfortunate, and that's why we have these distortions of history. I'm going to tell you right now, Rob, the JFK assassination should never have been a mystery. If they had called Dorothy Kilgallen to the Warren Commission and people would have actually um, read her columns and listened to her, they would have solved that case very easily because she looked at motive. Who had the greatest motive to kill JFK and make Bobby Kennedy powerless? Well, that was a New Orleans uh, mafioso named Carlos Marcello, who who RFK had deported right after uh, the 1960 election. Mm And he knew that uh, the same thing was going to happen to him, and they, they indicted him at the time. His back was against the wall. And so when Dorothy Kilgallen finished at the Jack Ruby trial, where did she go? 
She didn't go to Washington, D.C. looking into JF, to uh, Lyndon Johnson or the CIA or, CIA or anything like that. People will read that she went to New Orleans and she investigated this mafioso because she was looking at motive. And motive was just completely uh, ignored back then. It was just this, this nut, Lee Harvey Oswald, somehow or another orchestrated and carried out the JFK assassination. If people would have listened to Dorothy Kilgallen, uh, that case would have been solved within a year at least away from the assassination. But by not solving the case, it played perfectly into the hands of certain people who wanted to change the direction of the United States, as well as bring them into the war. There were people who made mm -hmm. millions upon millions upon millions of dollars feeding the war machine. Oh, yeah, no question about yeah. it. And, and again, they were just blindsided. You know, they, uh, for whatever reason, you know, they, they had their own uh, agenda. Mm -hmm. That's the word I would use. They had their own agenda where they could take JFK's assassination and massage all that up and yeah. figure out this and that and then take advantage of that. But they did so, um, you know, at, at the, uh, unfortunately, it, it sacrificed what the truth was back there, uh, back then. And so I, I think people will learn, uh, both from the reporter who knew too much and denial of justice, uh, as close to the truth as, as we can get, because as I say, uh, Dorothy Kilgallen, God bless her, she was a woman of the truth, and she was after the truth before they, they had her eliminated. To your knowledge, did Dorothy ever give her opinions on the Zapooter film? You know, she didn't, and, and she, she focused on Ruby. Okay. Uh, people will, will see that uh, she never looked at where the bullet ca bullets came from, how many shooters there were, mm. Anything she thought Oswald was a uh, you know too complex of a character to ever figure anything out like that. The Zabruder uh, film, I'm sure she may have looked at, but she focused on Jack Ruby because when she got to that trial, and she got to meet Melvin Belli, and he, as you remember, his defense was this ludicrous uh, psychomotor insanity defense. She didn't believe all that. She was a veteran of covering uh, high-profile trials. I mentioned Dr. Sam Shepard which became the fugitive film. She covered the Lindbergh baby kidnapping case. Lenny Bruce, uh, the First Amendment uh, case for his filthy language, the Profumo scandal in England. I mean, Dorothy was a veteran of criminal trials, and she wrote about them. And so when she got to the Jack Ruby trial, she realized right away that something didn't make any sense here with this Oswald alone theory, yeah. and so that's the direction she headed in. So did she ever mention her opinion on why the Warren Commission never took um, Ruby up on his offer to take him out of the prison, bring him to New York, mm -hmm. and he would have spilled the beans? Well, you have to look at the atmosphere back there again. And that, you know, J. Edgar Hoover uh, is one of the suspects in Dorothy's death. There's no question about that, because she was the only one who was standing up against him, the only wow. one with the courage right. to say this Oswald uh, alone theory doesn't make any sense. And so she knew that that wasn't going to happen because the agenda for the Warren Commission was to solve this and solve it right away, and it was just exactly what J. Edgar Hoover said it was. He wasn't going to let any evidence in otherwise, uh, that it was Oswald alone, and that was it. In fact, last October, when uh, some of the JFK assassination uh, materials, they still haven't all been released, but when some were released, there was a memo in there and I had already included the crux of that in the reporter who knew too much, and there's more about it in Denial of Justice. 
that J. Edgar Hoover, within hours of uh, JFK's death, sent a memo to the Justice Department saying, hey, look, we must show that, J., that uh, Lee Harvey Oswald is the sole uh, you know, assassin of JFK and that there are no other possibilities at all. And the reason he was doing that was because uh, if, if there was a, a plot to kill the president, then he and the FBI could have been responsible, Rob. But when, you, when he can say it was a nut like uh, uh, you know, Lee Harvey Oswald, then nobody could have stopped it. He was a very smart man, uh, uh, J. Edgar Hoover. Diabolical, sure, but he was a smart guy who knew exactly what he needed to do to cover up his own responsibility. So then, so then Jack Ruby played right into the hands of the people who wanted to go with the lone assassin theory. Well, and, and in The Poison Patriarch, I lead people from the 1960 election with, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Joe Kennedy promising the, the, the mafia to uh, leave them alone if they helped win JFK's assassination. Then you go uh, backwards a little bit, uh, you know, you go forward a little bit to, okay, uh, JFK is killed. Mm -hmm. Then there's this loose end, Lee Harvey Oswald. Then you have Jack Ruby, who's connected to the... To the um, uh, mafia in Dallas and Marcello, who eliminates Oswald, and then people will be absolutely amazed when they read that uh, his his lawyer Melvin Belli, who had affiliations with the mafia, his main client was Mickey Cohen. Wow. Uh, just after uh, he found out that uh, Oswald had been killed, he mm -hmm. said to a colleague, and I quote this colleague in the Denial of Justice book, Belli said, "Well, now Oswald's dead. I'll have to represent Jack Ruby." And he did so, and then he had two goals in mind. One was to make Ruby look like he was crazy through that crazy insanity defense, and second, never let Jack Ruby testify. And that's why, again, the Warren Commission was never going to let Ruby uh, testify uh, before that commission and, and come there like he asked to do so, because, again, uh, they didn't want any... Uh, any of the any of the spotlight to be on Ruby. The spotlight had to be on Lee Harvey Oswald. I can't wait until you come back and visit us in November with the uh, with your more of your new book, Mark. I want to thank you ever so much for joining us. Always a great pleasure talking to you. And uh, once again, let our listeners know how they can find out more about you and where they can buy your books. Well, thanks. And and I, I like to say too, all of my books are in the libraries, and I love it when people. Tell me they go to the libraries. Books are too expensive these days. Of course, yeah. all the books are on Amazon. The pre-order for Denial of Justice, The Reporter Who Knew Too Much is up there. But I also would like to say for anyone who has information after they read the books or hear this interview, has any leads for me, please send them along. Uh, but the DorothyKilgallenStory.org has in material, The Reporter Who Knew Too Much, and then Mark Shaw, uh, Mark Shaw Books. So um, everything's out there, and I, and I love to hear from people, so I hope I will. Mark, looking forward to having you back in November. Continued success and take care of yourself, my friend. Thank you. I will for sure. Exonation Mark Shaw has been my guest this hour. www.markshawbooks.com. And I'll be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away.